Uh, no, that's fine. Okay, that's a little discussion beforehand. I want to quickly recap what we did last week. Last week, once again, this this series is trying to determine, trying to grapple with, trying to delve into, ponder the great question of humanity as to the authorship of the Torah. Most significant document in the world and history has been the Torah, for sure. No one, no one doubts that. According to the book itself, it's written by Moses as per the dictation of God. And the ramifications for that, as for us as Jews, if that were to be true, is enormous. So, there, as, so therefore... Uh, it's very important for us to try to find the evidence and the proof and, the, and back, you know, just to be able to deal with this very important question uh, as to who authored the Torah. So this is already the fourth class. I want to quickly recap what we did last week. Uh, we saw that the Torah gives us a recipe for military conscription uh, that we said is highly impractical because basically letting anyone who built a home recently, anyone who planted a vineyard or, or a... Uh, or uh, or got engaged, betrothed to a woman to get off. Anyone who has any fear in their heart to get off. And if the Torah was written by men, it's we said it was unlikely for a man to make the most this most impractical uh, um, and uh, uh, exemptions where anyone's allowed to get off if they wanted to. That was the first thing we said. We went a great deal with that, uh, with that last week. And the last thing we talked about last week was the idea, the multiple predictions. Uh, and that each one of them have, we could actually see has come true, uh, and predictions that uh, each one individually is, is, is an item that has never happened. But together, especially when they're counter to each other, it's just it's remarkable, it's mind-blowing. The Torah predicts that we'll be an eternal nation, we'll be around forever. Not many nations have been around forever, we're still around forever. Together with that, the Torah predicts that we will be exiled, right, and we will come back. Once again, a phenomenon that has happened exactly once in history to our nation, predicted in the Torah. The Torah additionally will says that we will be a small a number, few a number, and we know that that's true. The Jewish people have never peaked over 20 million people. It's never happened. Uh, yet we're still around and we're still significant. And we're going to be around forever. And all the other nations that have even staked a claim to being around forever are all monster nations like the Arabs or the Chinese, or maybe even the Indians. Because there, you have a billion people, you'll be around forever, because anyone who you come in contact with, you'll just swallow them up and conquer them, so to speak. Uh, but the Torah predicts, the, it has these multiple predictions that a nation that does not going to have a common land or a common language will be dispersed through the four corners of the world, not have any unified leadership or, 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 uh, uh, or central authority, yet will survive, uh, despite the struggles, despite the persecutions, and the anti-Semitism like the Torah predicts, being few in number, be around forever, and that is remarkable. Remarkable that it all came true, and we see and coming back to Israel, coming back to Israel, it's never happened before. It's never happened that a nation exiled from their land will come back to the land. It's never happened. The Torah predicts that it happens, and it came true, and that's something which is very remarkable, uh, and uh, should um, something that we should really try to integrate into the discussion. Uh, that if the Torah was written by men, this man happened to have either guessed uh, remarkably well, which is unlikely, uh, or um, well, I guess that's the only option, right? If it was written by men, then, you know, the man would have been a prophet or, or would have been very illogical uh, to make such a prediction because such a prediction is so unlikely to happen, especially when connected with all the other predictions. Either way, that's what we did last week. And today, what I wanted to talk about is some of the common questions that people have uh, with the assumption or based upon the assumption that the Torah is true. It means if you, if you have a, a perspective that the Torah is true, there's what I collected is a six major questions that people often ask. Uh, if the Torah is true, then how, then whatever. Um, 
basically common challenges that we get to uh, our belief that we've historically got, and we still get today, our belief in the Torah. So, the first thing I think people think um, is that believing in miracles is irrational. If we want to take a very rational approach, we want to be intellectual, we want to be logical, we want to base things on fact, not on conjecture, things that we could quantify, things that are empirical, and that is a very um, reasonable approach. So if we want to maintain that standard, you know, you read a book, and the book talks about the sea splitting mm-hmm. and the Jewish people having prophecy, and you know, anyone that's had prophecy, right? It, it sounds like legend. It sounds mythical. That's a very common response, and it's a legitimate response. Uh, how do we go about answering that question? The legitimate question. You believe in the Torah? You know what the Torah says? The Torah says Moses took a staff and it turned into, threw on the floor and turned into a serpent. And food rained down from heaven for 40 years that fed a nation of 603,500 adult males from the age of 20 and 60. This is fanciful. This is way out. This, this is way too unreasonable. Miracles are unreasonable. We don't see them. Right? We, the, 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 you know, we don't have any. Aside from the Torah, we we don't have any recent you know recorded documentation of, of miracles. How could I, if I want to be, uh, if I want to, if I want to uh, be true and faithful to to logic, how can I accept the Torah? That's the question. And I think the response is like this. And if I'm going too fast, you guys slow me down, okay? I think the response is like this. And the declaration I'm going to make is as follows. It's not yes. If I want to be faithful to Torah. If you want to be faithful to the Torah, how can I believe? If, uh, how, uh, I don't know. I remember what I said. Never mind. <laughs> so you're talking about being faithful and believing in miracles. miracles? Exactly. So how can you be to faithful? To believe in the believe Torah in... means to believe in miracles. Okay. Right. I, let's say and someone says... stories thing fantasy. Yes, or... yes. And, and that will be the question. I, th- I think the response to this is like this. I think it's not possible to go through life without believing in miracles. How so? How so? If you don't believe in the Torah, right? Assuming you don't believe in the Torah, right? Assuming you say, we're, we're God, I don't believe in God. Right? It's not quantifiable. Also miraculous. It's also a supernatural. I mean, so once you accept the premise of God, well, then you accept the premise of miracles. Someone's not willing to accept the premise of a supernatural, then they have the question about miracles, right? The, 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 once you accept that God exists, the idea of a f- prophecy is not a big deal. It's not a major hump to, to, to jump over, right? The whole question is, this whole idea of some other realm that we can't see, we can't interact with, supernatural realm, that, right? It's not repeatable. Um, that's the question. But let's say you don't believe in God. Well, then what, what do you believe in? Like, you have to believe in some sort of accident or some sort of random occurrences to have brought around everything that we see uh, today. And people say, yes, we believe in the Big Bang, which was a, quote-unquote, a unguided process. We believe in the, uh, in the, uh, as, you know, in, in, in the theory of evolution, right, in, in natural selection, and that's also, an, that's also a process, and that is the framework for someone who doesn't accept God. They have a certain framework that they believe in, uh, which is, which is uh, uh, the expanding universe based upon this Big Bang, and the process of the origin of species from this amoeba, single-celled, uh, and then mutations, and we all know we all, all went through basic rudimentary biology, right? I claim that there are still questions that are unanswered by science. How so? If you were to ask a scientist or an evolutionist, where did the first amoeba come from? Where did the first single-cell organism come from? Where does that come from? Where does the primordial soup come from? Where does that come from? They don't have an answer. 
Why? That's beyond the scope of, that's beyond the scope of science. That is a question that no one has the answer to. We don't know. The evolution starts from point B. Point B, where you already have a functioning, replicating, single-celled organism, and then once you have that, you can somehow take that and turn it into a mouse and into an elephant and into humans. But how do you get there? How do you get to the point A? Right? How do you take matter and turn it into an amoeba? No one even has a theory. No one has a theory. It's a miracle. Right? There's no way to explain it even. You can't even, you can't even explain that. Right? Uh, and, and I'm saying, but even let's even assume you explain it, I think it still is a miracle to take a mouse and turn it into an elephant. You know, the one of the great uh, biologists, I don't remember who it was, was it uh, Crick or, or Watson, one of the guys who came up with the double helix structure for, for, uh, for, uh, for DNA, they calculated the probability of a human to have evolved. Well, what's the probability? That us, we're very complex organisms. Yeah, evolution is Right, it's it's very very complex. Humans, we have lots of different functions, and right, we have our intelligence. All these things are we have ten trillion brain cells in our head, like incredibly complex uh, entities. What is the probability of this have happening? So he calculated. He said it's a number with two hundred million zeros. I did the math. I said, how long would it take to write down the number? Forget about to even conceptualize it. Just to write it down. If you were to write three three numbers a second, it would take you twenty one and a half years to write down the number. Right? If that's not a miracle, if that's not beyond the scope of what we're used to seeing as being empirical data or something, something we can relate to, then what else is what, what else? what is a miracle? Right? There's no way to go through life, whether you believe in God, whether you reject God and believe in some other framework. There's no way to avoid it. All humans who have a certain system of beliefs, have a list of tenets, have some sort of approach to understanding the world and life and humanity, have to believe Miracles. You have to, right? If I say, where was uh, the matter? That, the, where did that come from? Where did matter come from? Where did, you know, what existed before the, before the Big Bang? That's a question that we don't know the answer to, right? Even science can't conjecture a, a theory. Everyone has to believe in miracles. There's no way to do it. Science and the godless approach also incorporates miracles into their, into their perspective. Humanity must believe in miracles. So we have our miracles, and our miracles are saying, yes, God does exist, and he orchestrated everything, and he made humanity, and he made all the animals, 8.7 million extant creatures, not including more than 100 million uh, extinct uh, species. All those things have to happen by, by chance. Every single one, if you don't believe in God, has to happen by chance. Right? So that's not a miracle? Hundreds of millions, uh, more than 100 million species to have existed and to, to thrive, and that's not a miracle? Of course it's a miracle. If it, it, on its own, that's a miracle. That's not something that we, we've seen before. That's something we've ever we've ever documented. There's never been a documentation of some sort of animal organism uh, just turning into another one or having developed some sort of function. It's conjecture. It's a theory, and it's and it's based upon a massive, massive leap of something that we haven't seen. It's a miracle, and even there are even things that there is no theory for. Like we said, the first amoeba. Everyone believes in miracles. Right? We believe in miracles. We have a system of belief that we believe in miracles, the Torah. But to someone to someone to try to question the legitimacy of believing the Torah as to say that it's irrational because you believe in miracles, that's not true. Everyone believes in miracles. That's how I would go, uh, go about approaching answering that question. So yes, do we believe in miracles? Absolutely. Does that make us any less rational, any less reasonable, any less married to logic than anyone else? Absolutely not. All, all humans believe in miracles. 
<sighs> How are we doing here, guys? Yeah, keep going. So keep going. Question. <laughs> I don't know the question. You, you gave us the answer. <laughs> no, believe in the miracles. It's rational. Question number two, potential question number two. People say this is a little bit less of a sophisticated question, but a question that you'll hear nonetheless, and that is, Rabbi, seeing is believing. If I didn't see it, I don't believe it, right? And eh, the Torah, we're talking about events that happened thousands of years ago, right? How do we know that it's true? How do we know? I didn't see it. I don't know anyone that sees it. Do you know someone who sees it? No. Do you know someone who's seen someone who sees it? Also not. How do we know that it's true? This is, I think, a a little less of a sophisticated question, and it gets a little bit of a less sophisticated answer. And you say to them, hey, do you have a wallet? Say, yes. You pull out the wallet, and you find the $5 bill. He said, five dollar bill. So who's the picture of the five dollar bill? Anyone knows the picture of the five dollar bill is? Lincoln. How do you know Lincoln existed? You haven't seen him. Do you know someone who's seen Lincoln? Do you know someone who's seen someone who's seen Lincoln? Maybe you do, but but right? How do you know he existed? And we have a system of how do you know that Lincoln existed? Maybe it was fabricated in the nineteen twenties. How do you know? Right? Any historical reality, how do you know that Shakespeare existed? How do you know? How do we know? Going back to Cleopatra and, and uh, 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 the great, I don't know, uh, Kant, Emmanuel Kant, or uh, anyone. How do you know they existed? You no, know, you haven't seen, we believe so many things that, that we haven't seen. Has, has anyone here ever been to China? Mm-hmm. You have been to China? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's been to Australia? Anyone been to Australia? Yeah. yeah. Trying to find a place that no one's been to. Has anyone here? Has anyone been to Antarctica? Yeah. Oh, no. goodness. <laughs> well, I was in Australia right before you get there. Yeah, okay. How do you know Antarctica existed? We believe so many things. Anyone here, anyone here has met Obama? No. Okay. How do we know he exists? Well, I guess we can see, well, you see him on the television. I know right? somebody who did. Okay, well, yeah. the point is, is that there's so many things that we believe that we haven't seen. We have a system of verifying information. Right? We know that Lincoln existed because we have documentation that he existed. And we have thousands of his countrymen that have seen it. We know that. Right? And therefore, it's impossible to fabricate a story. The 19, 1915, right? maybe in the case of World War I, right? they, made a, they invented this guy. It's not possible. Right? It's not possible to invent such a story that you wouldn't have the documentation and the evidence and the witnesses. And it, to perpetrate such a myth is impossible to do. It's impossible to do. No matter if we're talking about 100 years ago, 150 years ago, or 3,000 years ago. It's impossible to do, especially if you're going to perpetuate it on. Because it's not possible to perpetuate such a myth. If the Jews didn't stand at Mount Sinai and have the national prophecy, and hear Moses, Moses, Aleh, Lahar, and hear the first two commandments, and then get the Torah with all the list of miracles that happened to it, and then follow, adhere to it fastidiously for generations... Right? Even, even, even mitzvahs that are difficult to, to fulfill, like the mitzvah of Shemitah, of, of, of taking a year off from working, right? the Jews would never fulfill it if they knew it was a hoax. Like, if, someone, if Moses came to sell you a bag of goods, or, or Ezra, or Jeremiah, whoever, whoever would have been the one who put this all together, he would never have gotten past first base. He would never have, have the ability to start. Right? This whole thing wouldn't have You cannot develop such a myth. It's not possible. Right? And just like you, and, and yes, we haven't seen it, but we have 
tons of documentation of it. We have historical records of it. We have uh, we have traditions that are unbroken for thousands of years, right? We have the names of all the people. We have names of the people from without any generation mi- uh, missed. Not a single broken broken link in the chain. We have it. Right? We have we don't see it, but we still believe it. And there's lots of things that we haven't seen we, we, that we believe, and it's not a, in any way illogical, irrational, unreasonable uh, to believe so. Okay, that's a, that's a good question. Let's move on to the next one. What, what will be the next potential um, question? I think. What say, about time travel? Time travel. Well, what about <laughs> time travel? What about dinosaurs? They don't correlate with the timeline of the Torah. Well, like this. Oh, okay, so that's a good question. So. I like the question. There's a few different answers because um, the the real answer is we don't. The Torah isn't taught specifically about dinosaurs. We don't really know. Um, there but are those it says that the world started five thousand. Doesn't say that. No? Doesn't say that. It says the world. It says the world. If you do the mathematics, it tells that Adam, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Adam existed um, uh, five thousand some odd years ago. Uh, there are and many, the many, many, many sources. Mm-hmm that talk about what happened before Adam. Was Adam the first human, right? Many, many sources seem to indicate not. Many Jewish sources. It's not so clear. Absolutely, yes. Um, there are, no, there are those, I'd say, okay. there's a debate. Right? A, even in the Jewish world, there are those that theorize that the, that the dinosaurs were killed in the times of Noah. And because there was so much sulfur and acid in the flood, in the deluge, that that artificially aged the bones. That's the theory. It's a very popular theory. You know, dragons. just huh? Dragons. What about dragons? Um, there's uh, evidence of just you know maybe it's fifteen, eighteen hundred years ago of what they would call dragons. I mean, yeah, well, we, we that they were left over from the dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, but uh, okay. Rings, rings, rings but still, creatures. I mean, okay, well, e- so either way, I'm saying that that's possible. It's that's one of the theories. That's one of the theories. I'm not saying that. I said what's one of the theories. But another one of the theories is. The one that I like the most is uh, is the idea that um, the six days uh, before Adam were not six regular days. No, I understand that. But in those six days, remember the the animals were created. Correct, but But remember those six days aren't twenty four hours exactly. They were by the fourth day. Why is that? Because the sun and the moon. Well, what were were they before then? What was that before that? This, this, there were this, animals created before that, according doesn't to Doesn't matter, the but, the, but the, that's, that's true. The confusing that's true, but that. either uh, way, who says that time is governed the same way, the way it is now? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. an assumption. We don't know. No, I, I get the one day could have been a billion years at the beginning of the Torah. I get that. So what's the problem? Because after a day, there was, okay, then there was light and dark, and then there was earth and... I mean, you had heavens and earth. Okay, let me tell you what the Talmud... Like, okay, you I hear what you're saying. Animals, you're saying day four, once you, have day, once you have day four... You had a rotation of a 24-hour day. That's your assumption. Let's assume that's true. Let's yeah. assume it's true. Uh, what happened on day six? Do you want to have a day six? Uh, God, man was created. Man, okay, man. What before else, what else the, happened? Before animals and then men. Men was the last... Men were last. Okay. Okay. Were the last man... And then the whole sto- episode of the what's of the uh, of the, the Garden of Eden, yes, and they uh, uh, Adam gave names to all the animals uh-huh. all yes. on that day, yes. right? And Adam 
uh, slept with his wife and had two babies, okay. all born of that day. Yeah. Does that sound like one 24-hour period to you? No. It doesn't. Right. It, it clearly doesn't. So uh, the idea of having a baby, right, uh, and being born, being created on the same day, having a baby is obviously not 24 days. 20, 24 hours. So what it is, I don't know what it is. But even after day four, clearly the days are not governed by the date. Well, we were told 24 hours. That's for sure. Well, why are dinosaurs not named in Noah's Ark? Well, who says they're not? Well, the Torah itself says, <laughs> the, Torah, the Torah itself talks about Tanini Magdolim, the great serpents. They're those that theorize that those are dinosaurs. It talks of them dying. Tanini Magdolim died in the time of the, te- of, of the, of the flood. Torah talks about many, many, many animals that died in the time of flood. Right? Read Genesis. Read yeah, the book of Genesis. Yeah. So right? it's, so it's possible. Tell you, this is a theory. I don't know the answer for sure. It's, uh, it's possible that the dinosaurs exist in the time of Noah. Uh, and the reason why they look so old to us is because it was a very tumultuous time, very chaotic temperatures and influences on the bones, and that artificially aged uh, already artificially aged the um you know, that's why deep sea fossils, you might find them in Kentucky or in California or right, somewhere in the middle of the United States, and uh, scientists will theorize of an ice age, and someone say, no, this might just be because uh, during the time of the flood, deep sea fossils were brought uh, inland. Another Remember, that's a theory. Uh, one of those theories is what we, what, what we would go with. Okay. Another explanation that uh, Rabbi Ariel Wolpe said is that I love these animals were born old. Like these genes, these are brand new, but they look old. So even though they were born, they were already born old, the animals. Yeah, and that was another theory. That that created the animals already. Yeah, but 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 Wendy Wendy's talking about the extinct animals. When there was a sun and moon, it wasn't a twenty four hour. So when the sun and the moon were created, that's one of the theories. That's one of the theories. That's right. So we don't know how old the uh, world is. That's correct. Uh, There are though. I can send you articles um, where they do the exact calculation of how it works out that the world, even according to the Torah, is thirteen point eight billion based on sources. It's very interesting. Very very interesting. That it could be billions of years old in the 20s. That's right. With those oh, six days, with the 5,700 5, some odd years plus six days of of unknown quantity, these six about days. about Adam and Eve? When was there any uh, definitive answer or, or range? Well, we have Adam around? and Eve after the after the, uh, the seven day, first seven days. But, but they have found bones of men older than Okay, that. so... And there, like I said, there are those that say that Adam wasn't the first man, Adam was the first man that had a certain well, special neshama. And, and remember, I read a Talmud a week ago. The Talmud talks about uh, every 6,000 years, the, after 7,000 years, God mm-hmm. destroys the world and recreates it again. Every 50,000 years, it does it again. And every 18 cycles of 50,000 years, it's not so clear, cut, and dried. We don't read the Torah, the written Torah, and say, oh, let's just read it and we'll understand it. Especially not the Genesis story. That we have 31 verses. 31 sentences. Right? It's almost nothing. Like Hatikva, the, the full version is longer. You know, 31 verses of of uh, of of creation. That's all we know. That's all the Torah tells us. We know so 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 little about creation. Okay. Right? We don't know. So why why is it that it's such a mystery the creation and that the rest is very detailed explained? The Torah gives yeah. us two kinds of pieces of information two general kinds of information. Uh, the 
to when I say Torah, I mean specifically the Talmud, because the Talmud is really, is really where it's all fleshed out. It gives us what's called halacha, which is law, and it gives us what's called agadata, which is like hagada, like the word term hagada, mm-hmm. but means uh, teachings or ethics or philosophy or theology, or th- stuff like that, things which are in- intellectual but not practical. And when the Torah tells us halacha, it makes it as clear as possible. And I challenge you to find a Talmud that talks about halacha that it's not made super clear, so super clear, and you'll say, why is it so clear? It's too clear. Mm-hmm. Right? People study Talmud for the first time, they say, why are we asking so many questions? Why are we analyzing it so finely? Right? Because that's what the Torah does. The Torah is going to give you the perfect uh, explanation of law. How do I act? How do I behave? How do I go about? Right? And that's why I have to analyze it from a million different perspectives. However, the intention of the Torah, when the Torah teaches us agarata, the other kind of the Torah, is deliberately to conceal it. Deliberately to conceal it. So when you open up the Talmud, and you'll see uh, it's interspersed, uh, uh, halacha and agarata, you'll find that the halacha is super duper clear, and you get the agarata, and it starts talking about parables, and it gives stories, and it gives cryptic sentences, and it's, it's as, as if it's deliberately concealed. And the truth is that it is deliberately concealed because the true intention is always hidden. It's never, it's never spelled out clearly. I was just learning today, an hour ago, where it, it makes these connections. It says, uh, "Times of the Messiah, you'll be chased by a, a, a you'll be chased by a lion. You run away from the lion. You'll be pounced upon by a by a bear. You'll run home. You'll lean on the wall, and you'll be bitten by a snake." That's what it says. Does that make sense to you? You say, wait a minute, lions live in Houston, there's no lions, right? And then I'm going to run to the beer, and then I'm going to lean on the wall, right? That is a lesson that is concealed. Then unless you're a true Torah scholar, you won't know. It's basically the way the, 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 the uh, Germans would communicate during World War II, and the Americans had no freaking clue what they were talking about. Because it's written in a way that only someone who knows, has the key is able to decipher it. That's what Agatha is. And any time the Torah talks about these kind of things, it's written in that kind of format. Where unless you have key, unless you have, unless you have the, the, the tool for the de-encryption of the content, you have no idea what's going on. You think that you're running into a lion, and then you're, then you're running away from the lion, and then you're pounced on by the, by the bear, you lean on the wall, and you're bitten by a snake. Right? That is a lesson that we don't have the key to. Right? So we have that's no idea. What, got it, did you say? Yeah, I learned it an hour ago. And that's part of the Torah? That's part of the yeah, exactly. So, why it's deliberately hidden from us? Because it's not. It's not what. Maybe we're not there. When you're there, you know you're there because then you understand it because your brain is sophisticated and has been educated by Torah to the degree where that makes total sense. And you're like, I got it. You didn't get it because you don't have the key and you don't have the way to decrypt it. What are you going to do about it? Yes. So the hidden aspects of the world, the hidden aspects of Torah, those things are hidden. That's why I don't like the whole wholesale. Just as on a side note, once I'm ranting. Of my jacket. The whole wholesale teaching of Kabbalah to people that can't even read Hebrew, people that don't know anything about Judaism, is, in my view, a defilement of all that is holy. Why? Because it's Kabbalah. It's Jewish mysticism. It's not meant for the people that don't know how to read Hebrew and never study a page of Talmud in their lives and don't follow the laws and don't follow the basic principles of Halacha. Right? Once you're there, once you have that, maybe you could graduate and move on to the big leagues. 
but to take the big thing and to water it down and to make people think that they're having some sort of spiritual experience when really all they're doing is getting surface, surface, surface level. They don't really understand what they're even hearing. That's wrong. You know? So there's a process. It's a process, and when you're growing, you start from the, bo- the bottom ladder. It's like, uh, like my, my kid now went to Little Eats, right? Mm-hmm. So they have the, uh, the, uh, the machine where the machine pitches, you know? And it pitches it slowly because they're kids. But Malka, you'll say, wait a minute. I want it to go to the one where it's 90 miles an hour. Why is it throwing it so slowly? Your kid is six. He's not ready for there, right? If he grows and he progresses, he'll be ready for it. And when he's ready for it, he'll face the 90 mile an hour heat. Right now, this is what he, this is where he's up to. Sufficiently answer your question? Next. Awesome. Okay, so what about the mis- misinformation effect? Or what's known as how reliable are eyewitnesses? You'll say, okay. The Torah talks about a lot of things. And there were lots of eyewitnesses. And we're the sense of those witnesses. But how do we know that they saw what they saw? Maybe they saw something else. Maybe they saw something else. That's the question. And they, the, the, the scientific example of this is where they, um, they would show people images uh, like a stop sign in a picture. A picture with a, with a bunch of things, but also a stop sign. And then they would talk to them for five minutes and then show them the same picture, but the stop sign was turned into a yield sign. And like 43% of them said it was the same identical picture. Right? And they once showed them once with a wrench and one of them with a screwdriver. Right? They said, Oh, you see, people don't always remember what they say, what 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 they claim that they remember, you know? People humans are notoriously bad at at, at memory. You the forty three percent of the people misinterpreted the picture as being the identical picture to what they saw five minutes earlier, because they swapped out the, the stop sign for the yield sign or they swapped out the screwdriver for the wrench. That's the question. And the truth is it's a very, very weak question. Uh, because, first of all, this example is about a very innocuous change. It's also not a striking example. If I came and I told you guys that uh, we were in a building, okay, and then the building lifted up into the sky and started flowing, it started started making eights around the Williams Tower, the Transco Tower in, in Bel Air, and then landed back over here uh, in, uh, in Myrla Minion, you guys wouldn't say we had that experience unless we actually had that experience, you know. But if I said something that, oh, I, uh, I, I gave a class and uh, I, the, the phone was on the right side, uh, but it really was on the left side, that's something which is that the change is not so dramatic, you don't really see the difference. You might, you might say, well, where was it? Was it on the right side, the left side? Someone remembers, someone might make the mistake. Right? To claim that, f- that millions of people, right, experienced food dropping from heaven for 40 years. This is how they ate, right? To claim that someone got that wrong and someone was lost in translation, there was a misinformation, eyewitness accounts, right? That's insane. You can't possibly claim that. No one could say that this is how we lived. Our clothing grew with us. We had food rain down from heaven, right? right? We drank out of a rock, a rock gave water. This is what the Torah says. A rock gave water for millions of people. For thousands, not for thousands, for, for decades. Multiple decades. That is not possible for, for, for eyewitnesses to screw up. It's not possible. Right? It's a way of life. And also, it wasn't a one-time event. It wasn't a one-time event. These, these examples that of, of, of the misinformation effect is always a one-time event. You saw this? Oh, five minutes later you saw it again? Oh, you made a mistake. Right? 
It's a one-time event. This is a way of life of millions of people for multiple generations. Multiple generations. And they themselves received the book. It wasn't a book that was given later on. It was a book that these same people received and started performing and started observing right then, e- even earlier, but right then as well. Right? They got it from Moses. It says they got it from Moses. That's what the book itself says. If, if, they, if this was not true, or if there was even one iota of falsehood in any of these stories, any of these accounts, any of these narratives, the Jewish people would have flatly rejected it. Flatly rejected it. And additionally, there's another important point. They didn't receive the book as a book of, uh, of stories or of entertainment or you know, something that you use to entertain kids. Rather, it was a book that had narrative mixed with instruction. And the instruction was very... It's, it's not easy to fulfill the mitzvahs of the Torah. It's not easy. No one will argue that it's easy. Not a single person in the world will argue that it's easy. And the Torah itself claims that it's not easy. Right? But it's God training us to live like humans and, and, to, and, and to maximize life. And it's God teaching us the skills we need to maximize, maximize life. Right? The Jewish people accepted it. Right? They observed it, despite the fact that it contained miraculous narratives and prophecies that they themselves were privy to. They would not have adopted the book if it was a book of legends. But all the more so they would not have adopted the book if it was... Uh, because it is a book of instruction if there was any doubt as to the veracity of the stories and the content of the narratives uh, contained within. And to claim that the Jewish people just missed it, you know, that they just they didn't, they didn't realize that someone came and dropped uh, 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 someone came and dropped like hamburgers outside of the door every, every day. Like they, they just missed it. You know? But the Torah describes what the, what the man looked like. It looked like crystal. It looked like crystal, and it, and it tasted. Um, what did it taste like? It says that it tasted like, uh, like, uh, like milk and honey. I think it says right. Like yes, it, you know that someone invented this brand new food and dropped it, dropped it out of the tents of millions of people. Is that is that what happened? Of course not. They obviously experienced it, and this was something that was not striking to them. And it mentions it multiple times in the Torah. It talks about the man. Anyone with uh, who would have read the book. At that time, and it wouldn't. They they had. They don't remember anything called mun or anything dropping down to look like crystals, and out of the front door. That's what they ate for for years. They wouldn't have adopted the book. Anyone that didn't see the cloud of glory leading them during the day and the pillar of fire leading them at night, they wouldn't have adopted the book. Anyone that doesn't remember this momentous event, this national revelation at Sinai. Experienced by millions of people. The earth should, the Jewish people are seeing colors, are seeing sounds and hearing colors. They're having this tremendous supernatural experience. The Jewish people not have adopted the book. If the Jewish people didn't remember the story of Exodus from Egypt and splitting the sea into walkable walkable paths, mentioned multiple times throughout the book, the Jewish people not have adopted the book. If they remember the plagues where God bringing Pharaoh to his knees and, and, and teaching the Egyptian people a lesson that will reverberate in the ears of humanity forever. If they didn't, if they didn't experience that, if they didn't see that, they would not have adopted the book. They would not have adopted the, 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 the strict, uh, rigid, um, demanding requirements of the Torah. The book would not have gotten off, off uh, uh, to any kind of start whatsoever. The Torah was adopted clearly those people saw what they saw, experienced what they experienced, and 
believed it. If they believed in it, we could safely say that it's no leap of faith for us to believe in it as well. Just like we rely on the testimony of, uh, of, of thousands of people that saw Abraham Lincoln and George Washington, and we don't doubt the uh, existence of these people and the documentation. Uh, we don't say that, oh, this was all forged. No, we don't say, oh, it was, there was a team of people in the 1830s that made up this guy, Thomas Jefferson. No, we have his books. We have his writings. We have stories about him. We have uh, uh, historical uh, verification of this person. Same thing we do with the Torah. Same thing. Yeah, but that's more practical. The Torah, which you're talking about, the miracles, isn't as practical. I'm not agreeing or disagreeing. I'm just saying that I can understand not believing because it's very it's mythological or it's mystical, you know Lincoln writing the who you know the, the Gettysburg Address. Yeah, e- either way, it's historical. It's his, it's historic. Well, it's it's easier for us to uh, it's for sure easier for us to to. Right. But from a logical perspective, the process that we use to verify the, the stories of Lincoln or the episodes of the existence of Lincoln, that same process we use to verify the existence of Moses. The process is identical. The actual uh, event is obviously much more momentous. Well, that's what I'm referring to. Of course, I'm referring to the event. Of course, of course, the event. Yeah. The event is more momentous. Absolutely, yeah. okay. uh, but that's why it's more significant. Uh, but the process. My point. Exactly my point. Thank you, Al, for bringing this up. The process that we use to verify the information of the existence of Lincoln, or 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 George Washington, or or any uh, famous person that you want to talk about, right? That's the same way we used to verify Moses. Just Moses is is is, is more of a is more of, we have more to rely on, right? We have more we have testimony of, of of millions of people. We have much more than we have for Lincoln. You know, I don't know if Lincoln ever spoke to millions of people. I don't know, maybe he did, but maybe he spoke to tens or hundreds. But uh, probably yeah, probably thousands over the course of his life, but not not millions. And not uh, an entire nation, and in the, the and, and the events and the testimony, and what we do now, how we act differently as a result of Lincoln, is also not so. I'm saying Lincoln was a good guy, and he preserved the union and whatnot, and he gave us the the uh, Emancipation Proclamation and whatnot. Gettysburg Address, pretty cool guy, but our lives are not that much greatly altered as a result of Lincoln. Mm-hmm. As opposed to our lives as a result of Moses, and in fact, the lives of all humanity as a result of Moses were majorly affected. This changed the course of history. The Torah changed the course of history more than any of the book. That happened despite the fact that the Jewish people were there when it all uh, when it all happened. Hence, they obviously believed it was true, and if they believed it was true, and we assume that they weren't retards, this is the only assumption we need to make: is that you didn't have a nation of three million retards. Which is a fair assumption, uh, especially when you encounter when when you encounter when 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 you uh, count on the fact that the Jewish people today are, are clearly more intelligent uh, or significantly intelligent. We know it's not uh, you know it's not, I don't think it's racism. I think it's a fact. Uh, the Jewish people excel in every in every area. We can't. Uh, it's 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 it seems like a very weak argument to make that that the yeah, that three. Uh, uh, 3,000 years ago, our forefathers were just insanely dumb and just were hypnotized or whatever. Okay, what's the next thing we have? Uh, it's 8.23, still some time. Bible criticism. People say, oh, if you look at the text of the Torah, uh, there's uh, there's problems with the text. 
right? For example, God has multiple names in the Torah. This is one of the basic uh, principles of Bible criticism, where the, you see that God gives us multiple names. There's, multiple, there's, you know, there's, there's the, the J and the E, if you've heard those terms, the, what's called Yud Kei Vavke, the, uh, I think it's called the tetragram, or the ineffable name of God, fancy words to, me, to say, to describe the name of God. That is the four-letter word of the, uh, the four-letter name of God that we don't pronounce, by the way, as Jews. We're prohibited to pronounce. Uh, it starts with a Yud, uh, then it has a hey, and then a vav, and then another hey. Uh, but we don't pronounce that. Uh, and then it talks about God as Elohim. So what's going on? So they theorized uh, in the uh, late uh, 18th century, I'm sorry, 19th century, a fellow named Julius Wellhausen developed this new, uh, f- this new uh, process of dealing with the Old Testament, and to say that there were multiple authors. Uh, multiple authors, the J, the E, the, the P, and the D, so the fancy names they gave it to them, and then there was one guy named the R who was the redactor. Uh, and the reason behind this was because there were textual inconsistencies uh, with the Torah, or alleged textual inconsistencies. Now, the, the important thing to note here is, first of all, most uh, or these people that uh, have the textual uh, problems with the Torah, um, these are people that we agree with. Right. The Torah has many, 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 many textual problems uh, or textual inconsistencies. However, if you open up the Talmud, any page of Talmud, show me a piece of Talmud, and I'll show you that the Talmud discusses a textual in- inconsistency. Because if you just read any page of Talmud, there's 2,711 of them. Any open up any page, it, it analyzes Talmud. It analyzes the text. And it says that the text was written inconsistently to teach you a lesson. The idea being that the Torah was by design written, uh, was by design written uh, in a way where all of Jewish law could be theoretically derived from the Torah. Hence, it'll add a word because in the actual context of the Torah uh, or the particular narrative that it's talking about, you won't know the reason. So, if you just analyze the text in it, in and of itself, you might have a textual inconsistency, and that's by design. However, if you open the Talmud, the Talmud says, oh, the reason why this word was written over here, and this is a common example, was either to teach you a specific law that you wouldn't have known otherwise, or to even teach you a, uh, uh, a, uh, a comparative law elsewhere. The book of the Talmud deals with thousands of what we would call textual inconsistencies. Now, the German scholars that uh, developed this system didn't study the Talmud. And they didn't have even a basic, basic, rudimentary knowledge of the traditional Jewish perspective. Hence, 99% of the problems that I would uh, that, that were presented in these books, in this, uh, uh, I'm saying the, the original books of the Wellhausen books, if I were to take any fifth grader in Israel, in yeshiva, and say, oh, this guy has a problem with the Torah, they would answer it. Why? Because there's basic principles of how to go about the Torah study that have been part of the Jewish perspective for millennia that answer these questions. Like a simple question. We have a, we have, we have a, the, the Talmud says this a hundred times. I can't even tell me the Talmud says this. Ein mutamu muharba Torah. Torah is not written chronologically. Torah is not written chronologically. The Torah is written uh, uh, non-linearly. Therefore, when you say, oh, there's an inconsistency in the, an inconsistency in the text. Why? Because it talks about Abraham's dad and describes his age, and then it talks about Abraham, and then it says his dad died, and then it talks about Abraham being 75 years old. Wait a minute. If his dad died at this age, and he was, that was this age when he was born, then Abraham could have been 75 when he died. But if you ask any fourth grade child in Israel, he'll say, 
which means there's no, the Torah is not written in chronological order. The Torah finishes with Abraham's dad, it tells us when he died, and then moves on to Abraham in the middle of his life. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a, and, and, oh, textual inconsistency, but it's based upon a certain lack of basic information as to how this is, how this is run. Um, the multiple names of the Torah, this is already, remember, this is millennia old. Right? The, the, the Germans thought that they came up with this brand new theory, but the Torah already talks about the Midrashim. These are ancient. These are thousands of years old. And it describes that when the Torah uses the term, the start of the J or with the Yud, it's a certain term of benevolence. Right? Kindness. It's a certain perspective that God is endowing the humanity with of goodness, of benevolence, of kindness. However, when the term Elohim is used, it's a certain me- measure of stringency, of judgment. Hence, when the Torah talks about it from the perspective of uh, uh, of what, what they would call the J, it just means it's a certain uh, uh, endowment of a certain godly uh, influence that is more positive than Elohim. Ta-da! You answered basically the whole premise for the for, for the documentary hypothesis for the Bible criticism. So I, I think for us. You know, and I think it's a huge disservice, by the way, today. If you have a rabbi, I know I had a rabbi in one of my classes. The rabbi says, uh, well, we, we, we teach the documentary hypothesis. I say it's a huge disservice for, for the congregation. Uh, I don't know how much you guys know about, uh, about the documentary hypothesis or Bible criticism, what's called higher Bible criticism, not lower Bible criticism. Lower Bible criticism higher Bible criticism is criticism of the Bible with the intention or with the perspective of uh, invalidating it from the uh, as being uh, of divine authorship, as opposed to low Bible criticism is more of like an understanding of the text. You know what what we would do in the Talmud, so to speak. But if someone who is a rabbi, a leader of Jews, and he tries to encourage the study of higher Bible criticism, I think it's a tremendous, tremendous disservice. And I had conversations, unfortunately, uh, with rabbis that I'm very friendly with, very fond of. But what they're really saying to their people is that. You know, they're presenting a, 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 a theory which invalidates Judaism. Because the second you take divine authorship away from the Torah, what you're essentially doing is taking it and making it the word of man, not the word of God. And if, we, if we're living the word of man, then why are we doing Rosh Hashanah? Why? why? Why are we baking next week? Why are we doing Yom Kippur? Why are we doing Sukkot? Why do we have a mezuzah? Why do we have a Torah? Why are we investing so much in Israel? Why? Because it's from God. Right? To, to, it, the gravity that you have to have uh, to, to, to take that away from us? You mean that all the Jewish people struggle from, from eternity? It's all been for nothing. Really, it's all been for nothing. Why? Because the whole thing is just a bunch of baloney. We're ordered from the Gentiles. The second you take away God's authorship of the Torah, you invalidate Judaism. So the gravity of the situation is very grave. Uh, so it's a tremendous disservice to try to uh, uh, perpetuate this, this theory. But also, the theory is bogus. It's bogus because it's based on flawed principles. It's based on an, on an incomplete perspective of the Jewish, of the Jewish, way of viewing the Torah. Right? It, 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 it doesn't incorporate the Talmud. It doesn't incorporate the basic, basic principles of how we go about uh, how we go about uh, explaining uh, passages. You know. Um, Another example here. The pa- one passage in Exodus says that the bodies of the Pharaoh's chariot to- char- char- chariots were found on the shore. Well, the next verse says it sank to the bottom of the sea. right? Mm-hmm. But you open up Rashi, and Rashi just tells you what the Talmud tells you. And he says that after the, Egypt- Egypt- the Egyptians drowned, the, the, the sea threw them into the shore. So, yes, it's because you don't understand it, 
and you're trying to treat it like you would treat any other book. Uh, and that's why you say, oh, well, what's going on here? And another flaw in, in their perspective, we all agreed already last week or two weeks ago, if the Torah was written by men, he was clearly an intelligent guy. And clearly the greatest, uh, like we mentioned last time, the greatest systemizer and moral systemizer and law systemizer that humanity's ever seen, for sure. Right? Especially when you come to the fact that the Torah was written 3,300 years ago when the world was barbaric. You know? And it gives us systems and laws and, and, and it's, it's an, it builds an incredible society for us. It gives us the Ten Commandments. If that was all written by men, he was clearly an intelligent man. To think that they would have gross errors and no proofreading and just have a sloppy mix of, of J and E and then two, two, two pages later there's more J and it's E-J, it's all mixed together. It would be one sloppy mess to think that someone, that, that the human would make such a mistake is embarrassing. But also to reject the traditional perspective is, is, is doing a disservice uh, to, to, to Judaism. And, uh, and, and, it's, and I don't think it's... Um, I don't think it's a. Uh, uh, I don't think it's a. It, 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 it's 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 the more you study, I think if someone has any exposure to Talmud, to them it's it's actually not at all of a uh, uh, of, a, of, a, of a problem at, at all. Excuse my ignorance, but the Talmud. What's the distinction between the Talmud and the Torah? And the Talmud. The, the to- Torah. Well, Torah. What does Torah means? God's instructions. God gave us. No. Uh, the books of the written Torah, called the written Torah, the Five Books of Moses. Okay. Uh, what's called the Oral Torah is uh, is everything else, which is really when we say Torah, we most often mean Oral Torah because the written Torah is an incomplete document. And you know what? If you read the to- written Torah, it clearly is an incomplete document. Why? It doesn't tell you how to do things. It says, for example, on, on Sunday I'm giving a class in Umbel, uh, Texas, a class in Tefillin. Torah talks about Tefillin. Multiple times, you should wear tefillin on your head. If you were to read the written Torah, you would have absolutely no idea what tefillin is, what it looks like, mm-hmm. how to make it, right? how it's composed. But if you look around through the world, you'll see every single Jew has the same tefillin. It's black boxes, one of them on the, on the arm, one of them on the head. The one on the arm has one compartment that contains four scrolls from the Torah. The one on the head has four compartments that contain the same four scrolls, and the order of the scroll. Everyone has identical tefillin. But the Torah itself just says, make tefillin. doesn't tell what tefillin is. What color it is, no, nothing. Everyone has black boxes, one compartment, four scrolls, four compartments, four scrolls. Everyone has the same. Because that's, what the, that, that's the oral Torah. That, uh, and, and, and in fact, we say the oral Torah is more important because the oral Torah actually tells you how to live as a Jew. Don't do work on Shabbat. Well, what, what constitutes work? doesn't say a word about that. doesn't. We have a whole book called the Book of, the Talmud, book of Talmud that talks about the laws of Shabbat that tells you what Shabbat is. And in fact, we say the written Torah, the five books of Moses, are actually a framework. It's an outline of what Torah really is. But in, for, uh, for reasons that I hopefully will, we will uh, discuss in a future class in this series, there was a distinct need to maintain the, uh, the, the teachings as being oral because then it's more fluid. It's more transferable. You're able to teach just the immutable principles, but the actual applications is able to be more dynamic. Uh, it's also uh, forces that there to be a, a parent, a, a, a teacher-student relationship. You can't just le- learn from yourself, just like you went to college and you didn't just get books delivered to your house and read them, right? You have to, you have to engage and have to, you have to understand inflection, right? If I just tell you, Al, Al, I'm going to tell you six words. You don't tell me what they mean. I'm you, I don't think to do this exercise with you guys. Okay, guys, let's do an exercise. I'm going to say six words, and I want them to give me an exact 
definition. Don't be too cutesy. What do I mean? I'll start with Al. Ready? I did not hit my wife. What does that mean? Uh, don't be fancy. It means I... You didn't hit your wife. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Malka. Ready? I'm going to say six words. You tell me what it means. I didn't hit my wife. What does that mean? Mm, what does it mean? You might have hit your wife. No, that's not what it means. What does it mean? I didn't hit my wife. Somebody else, Somebody else did. That's what it means. That's what it means. Ready? 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 Millie? Know. I didn't hit my wife. What does that mean? I might have done something else. Right? That's what it means. Right? Now we need one more. Ready? I didn't hit my wife. What does that mean? So who do you hit? I just told you six words. You gave me four different... Definition. The point is, is that when you say something orally, you're able to add inflection. You're able to add nuance. You're able to add perspective that you cannot do. The Torah is God's instructions to us. And it has to be eternal. It has to last forever. It can only last forever, right, if, right, or, or uh, we'll get to why it was written down at a later point. But it had, for it to last forever, it had to have been orally. Because orally, is able to, you're able to have a complete, perfect transmission, right? It's, it's exactly. It's much more practical. Um, yes. Okay. So where were we? About the Talmud, the difference. The difference uh, between Torah and Talmud. Oh, 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 oh. So the Talmud is what we would call the oral Torah, which is when this oral tradition had to be written down because otherwise it would have been forgotten, right? The Jewish people were were uh, central authority, central leadership was disbanded. The Sanhedrin was disbanded. There was no longer uh, a Jewish uh, centralized authority. Rather, they were spread out throughout the whole world. And therefore, there were restrictions like the Hadrianic persecutions of prohibitions of public uh, Torah teaching. And therefore, the Jewish people had, they, they had, they were faced with the quandary. Either you write down oral Torah, and the, oral, the Torah has a chance to be perpetuated and, and, uh, for, and retained forever, or you maintain it in its oral form and it will be lost because uh, the, the dedication, amount of time, and, and peace, and, and uh, serenity, and um, you know, uh, kind of uh, uh, you know, just peace of mind, freedom to, that, that would be needed to actually teach the Torah in its entirety to the next generation in oral format wasn't there. It had to be written down in order to preserve the Torah. Yes. Okay, let's go. And back. that's what we call the Talmud. Let's go back to the Tefillin. Yes. Tefillin said. The Torah says. Tefillin, it doesn't describe it, but in the Talmud it does. Absolutely. Who told the people in the Talmud to write it? Oh yeah, good question. When we say Moses got the Torah from Sinai, mm-hmm. what did he get? He got the laws. He got Tefillin. Right? Didn't get the outline of Tefillin, where Tefillin. He said, what is Tefillin? How does Tefillin look like? What are the one compartment on the arm, four compartments on the head? The Torah says, you should sit in the sukkah for seven days. That's all it says. All it says. Right? But the Almighty tells Moses, right? Sukkah has to be this height. Not this, right? This width. This many walls. What are the composition of the walls? What are the composition of the schach? All that was given to, given to Moses. Everything. The Torah was given to Moses as a complete... Information. It wasn't just hints. It wasn't just. It wasn't just particles of information. It was the full instructions from beginning to end. Some of it was in the form of an outline that he wrote at the end of his life, or like we saw, we said we talked about it last time. It was written mm-hmm. incrementally. It was written in the life. That's a discussion. But 
the majority of what they did was the oral Torah. That's what they, that's what they studied. That, that was the oldest. What the people were at Mount Sinai for a, an entire year. What were they doing there? They had the one event at the beginning, which is the, uh, the, which is the revelation. What were they doing the rest of the time? They were there for a year, uh, ten days shy of a year. What were they doing? They were studying. Studying what? The written Torah didn't have the written Torah until much later. They were studying the oral Torah. Right? They were studying what we call Torah. That's Torah. So the oral Torah was given before the written Torah? Absolutely. Okay. Booyah. Okay. So, so the, que- the What's question the question? Is, maybe it's going to repudiate. So, uh, repudiate. I like that. So, so the, the you question. You repudiate is, or refute? Refute. Yeah. So the question Refudiate is, is the mix of two words. I like that. Why would not Moses have been a brilliant scholar and fantastic leader, which yeah. he was, yeah. and created this himself? That's a good question. Because even if Moses was the most brilliant guy in the world, he still can't convince you that you saw something you didn't see. Let's say I was the most intelligent guy in the world. Let's assume. Right? Forget Moses being too humble. Let's assume that Moses, Moses, Moses was a charlatan. Let's assume for a second, right? Let's make believe I'm Moses, right? I'm the most brilliant guy in the world. So smarter than anyone here, right? So much smarter, which is not true because Al's sitting here. But let's assume that it was, right? Can I convince you that we made eights, bagels around, around William's Tower? Can I convince you? Is it possible? Is there anything I can do? Is there anything I can do to convince you, right? That you saw something you didn't see? No. That's why. Right? We believe in Moses because we saw, we had prophecy. We went through this exercise yeah, last time. We had prophecy. We were elevated to the level of prophecy. And that's why we believed in Moses. Because people saw it. Because they themselves saw it, exactly. The only, our nation, Al, listen to this. Our nation is the only nation that, that the foundation, the formation of the nation is founded on a national revelation as opposed to an individualistic revelation, as opposed to Muhammad or, uh, or, or Paul or, or, or Joseph Smith, they're individually having a prophecy and God tells them what to do. And here's the Quran, here's the... Uh, the, the you know, no, I understand there are millions of people. So. Millions of people that they all saw. It wasn't just one guy, right? There's nothing I can... No matter how brilliant I was, I can't convince you that you saw something you didn't see. Especially, I can't convince you that you had 40 years of crystal-colored... Colored, uh, food dropped down so, in front of your... So literally, uh, uh, the millions of people saw Moses spoken to... They all saw, and if you read it, it's in the book. And these are the well, same God people that received the book. First. They couldn't take it, and then... Well, I, I understand God giving Moses the Ten Commandments, but th- that Moses was alone two. at Mount Sinai. Oh, uh, you watched the movie. No, I didn't see it. <laughs> Not in like You're like, ah, anyway, I'm so. not going to read the book. I'll just watch the movie. No, I didn't even see Read the, the book. Movie. I didn't see the okay, movie. Okay, but go to Exodus. and Go, go to the beginning of, of, of Tells the Story Twice. Go to Exodus. I think it's chapter 20. Yeah, said, be in Exodus. Right? Yeah. Read what it says. It gives a description. Especially, look, I, I mentioned this last time. I gave the, uh, it says clearly, multiple times, everyone saw it. It wasn't just Moses. It wasn't just Moses. It was the entire nation. Plus, that was just the one event, but there's also multiple miracles that everyone experienced. And so this was lesson three you gave? Uh, I wouldn't. It's my first yeah, class yeah, here. But lesson. I listened to one and a half on uh, YouTube. Oh, not awesome. YouTube, but, uh, but okay, I'll, I'll listen to three. Awesome. I'll watch three. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Uh, can we do the next? I've, I've, uh, huh. I have two more, two more potential questions. Can we do that? Malka? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Two more. Okay. <laughs> what about archaeology? What about archaeology? What does archaeologists say about the Bible? Right? Is there some sort of 
material remains. We said we talked about the textual analysis, criticism of the Torah is really, really weak. What about the material remains? How come we don't we have, have some Dead sort of... Scrolls. Huh? We have the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, what are the, what are the Dead Sea Scrolls? They're 2,000 year old. Yeah, okay, that's good. It's, that's a very, probably the most significant his, uh, archaeological discovery of the past 100 years, for sure. No, I don't think anyone denies that. And yeah, that's a, that's a very good uh, archaeological f- uh, find. But what about, uh, how come we don't find, like, uh, I don't know, Coca-Cola bottles uh, where the Jewish people were sojourning in the desert for 40 years, you know? That's the question. They didn't have Coca-Cola bottles, right. Um, well, if everything was given by God, God took it back then. No, no, no. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought I took what back? Like, like the food. There's no remains of food. There's no Yeah, well, food of, you won't of, find anyhow. Clothing. But, there's I no remains of clothing it? because God well, gave the clothes and then they took it. There's yeah. Uh, clothing, right, that's an important point. Clothing, if you read the Torah, the clothing grew with them. The shoes grew with them, right? Right. They, they didn't leave stuff strewn about. But also, they were itinerant. This 40s, 43 some odd places where they went. So they never had a place where they actually settled down for some years to build permanent structures. Either way, I, 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 I'm saying this is a huge, huge subject as to the our, Bible and archaeology. Most of the discussion is already post-Torah. Like, like, uh, like Jericho, where it's already after Moses is dead, after the time period of the Torah, um, that's already... Uh, that that's where we're the most because that's where the Jews are already in Israel and they're more a little more of a more stability and they they found lots of stuff they found David's stuff a whole bunch of stuff about David they found they found a lot of stuff in Israel mm-hmm. but uh, actual uh, to the actual sojourn through the desert first of all they haven't even searched there right the Sinai Desert is enormous mm-hmm. you know when most people when most archaeologists what they actually do is they spend uh, uh, on, on a four hundred acre uh, site they would look at a ten foot by ten foot space. And whatever they find there, they're able to just project over the whole thing. Um, but, you know, there is a lot that we have found. For example, there's what's called as the, pronounce it correctly, the Ipuwer papyrus, Google it, famous Egyptian papyrus dated to when the Jewish people were there. And it says in it, amongst other things, it says there's blood everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, but remember, as with all archaeology, it's up to interpretation. So uh, there's a great quote here. Uh, good, good scholars, honest scholars, we continue to differ about the interpretations of archaeological, archaeological remains simply because archaeology is not a science, it's an art. And sometimes it's not even a good art. This is from William Dever, who is the number one uh, uh, name in biblical archaeology. I know that because I, I get the biblical archaeology review, and he's the number one guy. You see him every week. Every, every, I'm sorry, every, it's not every week, I think it's four times a year. Uh, either way, it's not something which is, it's up for interpretation. Like, half of archaeology is actually the discovery of material remains, and the other half is interpreting. So you'll have the same discovery and multiple interpretations based upon the biases of the interpreter. So you have half the archaeological crowd as people that are maximalists, the people that want like that are either fundamentalist Christians or very uh, sympathetic to the traditional uh, perspective of the Torah, and they try to maximize the, uh, the, the interpretations of the discoveries as being more significant. And then there's the minimalists, and you have people like Israel Finkelstein, who's ardently against the Bible. Like He's an Israeli guy. He's a great archaeologist, but his, um, his perspective is always trying to minimize the legitimacy of, of, the, of the Bible. As a historical, historic, as a historical document. So, 
this papyrus, for example, is a debate. It, yes, it's dated to the right time in Egypt, and it says there's blood everywhere. That is much as not for review. But then there are those that'll say, "Oh, this does seem to say this is a physical remain from that time that says there's blood everywhere." Maybe it's is it a physical a remain that does verify? Some will say yes. Others will argue and say no. It means something else. Oh, it means because the sand of the of the Nile, the sand that was made to look very red. Either way, the point is is that it's not something which is concrete one way or the other. They have found some stuff. Is it uh, a verification? I don't know, but clearly they haven't found anything which disproves the Torah. This is an important point. There has never been any anachronisms found on the Torah. There never been. An anachronism is when you have a physical uh, or you have a document that is not contemporary to its time. Uh, um, so like if, I gave this example last time, but if I, if I wrote uh, a historical novel 100 years from now and I wrote that in 2014 I got a haircut for five cents, people will say that's, that, that's, anach- uh, that's anachronistic. Why? Because no one gets a haircut for five cents. But in 1940, maybe you could have gotten a haircut for five cents. Right, so like uh, one of the uh, one of the archaeologists discovered, for example, that uh, the amount of money paid for Joseph as a slave twenty silver pieces. They found lists of uh, of slaves and prices paid. It was very comparable. It was, it was right there. Uh, that's one example. Of the another was called the Brooklyn Papyrus. These these papyruses are called after the place where they're housed. So mm-hmm. this this is in a museum in Brooklyn. It's a Brooklyn Papyrus. And it gives names that are contemporary to the times there, and it uh, gives names like Yisachar and Shifra and Asher. These are names uh, that the Torah also uh, claims. The Torah writes as being in Egypt at that time. You have the Torah talking about Ramses, and we know that we know we now know that Ramses uh, was uh, uh, contemporary to the time of the Torah. And if the Torah was written a thousand years later, it would be very hard for someone to have known that, unless they were archaeologists. But the archaeology is a relatively recent. Thing. So either way, the archaeological perspective on the Torah is, can we say that there's enough corroborating evidence to believe in the Torah because of archaeology, archaeology alone? Probably not. Is there anything in, in archaeology that we've discovered that disproves the Torah? Absolutely not. And whatever you do have, it's depending on your perspective. Yes, it's possible that this blood everywhere was something uh, that was was a reference to the the to the plague of the of blood? Maybe yes, maybe no. I don't think it, it matters that much. Uh, but they have found a lot of things as subsequently, and uh, it's a fascinating discussion for some people. And there's a, but uh, either way, I don't think I don't think it really uh, moves the needle much in our conversation. Uh, and the last thing that I wanted to talk about today, let me believe it's the next one. Okay, so uh, so basically, quickly to recover the uh, to to to, to um, review. Sorry, my brain's like very frazzled. Apologize, my brain like feel like a like a like an egg that's been uh, that's been you scrambled. Ready for Rosh uh, no, no, I, I'm just collecting it all together again. <laughs> so we said, if you believe in the Torah, there are many questions that will be that will that will be raised, and we talked today about five of them. Number one, we said. What do you mean? Believing in miracles, that's irrational. It's unreasonable. It's illogical. And I said, you know what? The true response to that is that, yes, it's illogical, but everyone's illogical because everyone believes in some sort of miracle. If you believe in God and that structure, you believe in some sort of miracle. If you believe in a godless uh, um, 
story history to to humanity to the universe you also believe in miracles right because you have unanswered questions that you have no answer to and it's beyond the scope of what you could possibly uh, render a position on right you'll have to believe in some sort of miracle how does inanimate matter turn into matter turn into the first amoeba we have no idea science has no idea right if you believe in, 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 in God, well, you believe in some sort of miracle. And if you believe in evolution in that, in that, in that godless perspective, not to say that anyone believes in evolution is godless, but in a godless uh, uh, construct of evolution, then you believe in a miracle as well. Seeing is believing. It's not true. We all believe in Abraham Lincoln because there's a system of verification of historical events. That same system we apply to Abraham, to, oh, not to Abraham, sorry, to Moses uh, and to the whole uh, episode of the episodes or the, the narrative of the Torah, and we uh, we could, as logically as we believe in, a- in Abraham Lincoln and George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, we can believe in Moses. The misinformation effect is really not applicable to the Torah, because the only time uh, the only time that we have seen that eyewitness accounts are wrong is number one when it's individual accounts, not in accounts of thousands. Number two, when it is a single event as opposed to a way of life, right? No one will, uh, if, if, you know, no one, if I told someone 100 years, 100 years from now that we all had washing machines and dryers, you know, it's not something that you can, you can miss, you, you, can't, you can't possibly have a misinformation effect for having a washing machine or dryer because this is the way we live. This is the way everyone lives, Right? The Torah stories are way people live. It's not just a single event, and also it's it's fantastic events. You know the mistakes that people make with the misinformation effect is minor mistakes. Was it a wrench or was it a hammer? Right? Was it a stop sign? Or was it a yield sign? But not whether or not they experienced prophecy or they got crystal crystal looking amazing food delivered to them uh, every morning. We said that the Bible uh, textual criticism is is, 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 is is really not at all much of a challenge uh, because uh, it is an incomplete or, or, or a um, skewed perspective of what the Torah actually is. Uh, if you take the Torah, I, no one is, should take the Torah at face value uh, because it's clearly not written. It's not intended to be, to be such. There has to be a accompanying document. We call that the oral Torah. And once you have that, you have no other questions. And lastly, archaeology. We said archaeology, yeah, it's all about interpretation. Everyone <coughs> everyone has their own perspective on it because everyone has their own biases upon it. But either way, there's no anachronistic um, uh, evidence that we could find to reject the Torah. And there is some corroborating evidence as well, as what's called circumstantial evidence, that seems to go really nicely if the Torah is indeed historical. And uh, that's that. And you're sticking to it. Absolutely. <laughs> After that, no sticking to it. Uh, yes, and like we said, I, like I've said at, at the end of every other one of the classes, if someone has something that they want to discuss to challenge the legitimacy of what we're discussing here, it's welcomed. Because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be honest. We're trying to be legitimate. We're trying to not. Uh, we're trying to cross the T's and dot the I's. Is that what it's called? And uh, and it's it's an invitation. Yes, if there's something like, like you know, we, this is how, this is what we're basing our lives upon. It let's make sure we're not screwing up. Okay, someone has something to say there. Someone left. I saw. I saw. I saw. I saw like in my peripheral vision. Okay, everyone. Thank you all for coming. Yeah. I'm not going to be here next week. Be awesome, Al. Good to see you again. Yeah. Let me sign. I wrote, wrote, I wrote Al Levy. Okay, well, let me pay you whatever it is in class. I'll pay, I'll pay you each one as I go. Awesome. Yeah.
Rabbi, can we don't have class next week? You guys want to not have class next week? I won't be there.